Welcome back to another season of Holistic Wellness. In this season of Holistic Wellness, it's all about self-care. We're starting out with a conversation with Carice LeGuerre, who is a myofunctional therapist. And the reason why we're starting out with this episode is because it is the end of September right now. And chances are you are thinking about your year-end review If you have children, this may be the time where they're beginning to struggle with their studies or, you know, it might have started even earlier in the school year. It might have started as early as, you know, week one or two. By this point, you may be thinking, what what are the options? What's possible to help, you know, both of us (laughs) streamline our thoughts and really get things done to meet those year-end goals or to meet... Uh, different assignments at school again, if you've got a child. So how Carice helps is she talks about how the musculature and how like the muscles within your face and within your neck actually go a long way into supporting your overall productivity. And that's what myofunctional alignment and myofunctional therapy is all about, is improving that alignment so that your physical optimizing your physical alignment indeed helps optimizing your efficiency your productivity and your clarity so i am so excited for this episode being the very first one of this series of holistic wellness Carice is a registered dental hygienist and myofunctional therapist. She founded the MyoSpot, which is a practice aimed at amplifying oral wellness to whole body wellness. She uses teletherapy, so it's entirely possible to work with Carice remotely via either telephone or video. And she helps clients of all ages overcome tongue ties, TMJ disorders, sleep apnea, grinding, anxiety, and various breathing and orofacial dysfunction. She's passionate about education and self-help, and she published the book, Accomplished, How to Sleep Better, Eliminate Burnout, and Execute Goals. I've started reading this book. It is amazing. I love it so far. I wish I could say I've finished with it to give you a full rundown of, um, you know, to give you a full short book review here. However, I'm not done with it yet and don't feel I've read enough to do it justice. However, I know that I love her writing style. Um, I love what I, I love her message. I love seeing how she's coming through that book. When she's not working, Carice uh, spends time with her husband and her four children. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode with Carice LeGuerre. Welcome to Holistic Wellness, a podcast exploring the science and metaphysics of health and wellness. I'm your host, Brandi Searcy, founder and formulator at Rain Organica, where you'll find holistic skincare in one simple routine. I'm so excited to have Carice Laguerre here with me today of the Myo Spot. Carice, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Would you start off just sharing a little bit about your work? 
Absolutely. So I am a myofunctional therapist and I know not many people have heard of that, but myofunctional therapy is essentially like having a personal trainer, but for all the muscles below your eyes, but above your shoulders. So what we really do is we help to strengthen and coordinate those muscles. That way we can help people breathe better, sleep better, chew and swallow better. Wow. So it's specifically limited. I had no idea. It was just limited to that, this particular region of your body. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. All the oral facial and some of the oral pharyngeal muscles as well. Yeah. Okay. And what are you doing with this myo with this? So what does the myo part of this work mean? Myo is a medical term. So M-Y-O just on its own is muscle. So being a myofunctional, it's like a muscle functional therapist. Um, and so in this region, it really working with these muscles is important because a lot of what happens as far as our breathing, as far as our development, how our face shape winds up turning out, a lot of it depends on the soft tissues and their push and pull on the skull and the bones of these tissues as we're developing when we're younger. Um, so a lot of times you'll find that people might have issues like with oral facial pain, maybe there's jaw issues, or they might have a tongue thrust, and they might have um, maybe their tongue very visible during speech. A lot of these are muscular dysfunctions. So how we're using the muscles and having somebody to be able to help us retrain how they're supposed to be used aids in really getting a nice harmonious balance along the face so that we can then use our muscles the way they're meant to be, the way they are intended. There's be no overdevelopment of muscles, which can cause some oral facial pain and discomfort. That uh, can wear down some of the joints. It can wear down along the body and the bone. And so it's just really helpful overall. And when you're working with when you're working with clients, what does it look like? Are you teaching them certain exercises to do or are you physically manipulating them? So it's very much, I love the personal training um, analogy because I feel like it's very much like personal training. So when you go to a gym and you would anticipate working out with a personal trainer, they're really guiding you. That way you can get, you know, better definition where you're looking to get definition or whatever your goals are. They're really guiding you with exercises. So they're not doing the work for you because that's their muscles, their muscles won't help you get any gains, right? So I don't really do the work for the clients, but I do guide them. So I'm very much like a personal trainer telling them how we should move and manipulate these muscles. So I do ask for them to isolate the muscles in certain movements. It's a very uh, visual feedback oriented therapeutic process where you're going to need to see yourself. You're going to need to look and see what's moving, what's not moving. You become very aware of the acute movements of the facial muscles and your tongue muscles or anything that we're really working on because we do require that these exercises are done, you know, with a certain amount of proficiency because just like in the gym, you can do more harm than good if you're not doing the exercises properly. So it's a guiding. Okay. So do you work remotely with people or more one-on-one? -on -one? 
I do a little bit of both. So I do do in-person work, but what I loved about this whole COVID process and the pandemic, while it has been, you know, very stressful in a lot of different ways, it has gotten us more accustomed to being on these virtual platforms with each other, which has then refined the therapy to really become a lot more, um, a lot more precise in how we're able to work with people with teletherapy or telehealth. And so, yes, I do work remotely, but I do also do some in-person therapy as well. Okay. And last question related to this before we launch into the benefits around myofunctional therapy. So um, when, how many sessions do you typically work with someone and then how long are each of those sessions? So on average, I would say the average person is going to be maybe around 13, 14 sessions in order to finish. Um, I've had people who finished in as early as 10 sessions or visits, um, people who have taken as many as 22 visits. And so on average, it's somewhere around 13 for most people. Uh, each of those sessions about 30 to 40 minutes long. During that time, we're working on exercise mastery, isolation, and really trying to refine the movements and building upon that, like building blocks. Okay, great. So now for all of the benefits associated with this particular kind of therapy, uh, maybe we can just, I'll let you um, share and then we can deep dive into some of those. Okay, so these muscles, like I mentioned briefly before, are very important when we're getting our skeletal development. So when we're very young, it's super important then. But when there's dysfunction in the oral or the facial muscles, what we're going to have happen is that you'll see it compound as we age. So that you'll see things that will start to be visual cues or just things that you can kind of point to is uh, mouth breathing, being unable to really facilitate proper nasal breathing. You might most likely might see some sort of a tongue thrust or visible impact that the tongue might have on the teeth. So whether it's an open bite, where sometimes people might see that or associate that with maybe a pacifier or thumb sucking, and you know how the teeth, they say, grow around that, the tongue can also be in there in that space too and impacting how those teeth are sitting and positioned as well. Um, you definitely will see some issues with the jaw joint. The jaw joint is very impacted by how these muscles move. There are several muscles that are connected to the joint just in and of itself. There could be issues with swallowing, gag reflex, hyperactive gag reflex, um, the global issues, so less in this oral facial region and more overall body issues. You're more prone to sleep disordered breathing, which is a nice big umbrella term for a lot of different things. Obstructive sleep apnea is in there. Um, it can be as big as that, or it can be any other parasomnia. It can even be just snoring. Uh, you're going to have issues with respiratory issues such as, you know, asthma. Um, you might even find yourself with some digestive issues that are also related to a lot of the way that you're breathing too. So like aerophasia, which is swallowing a lot of air and then you're much gassier than I guess you should be when you're trying to digest uh, reflux as well. Um, and yeah, you'll definitely find that you'll have issues with the psychological. So more prone to anxiety and depression. 
Wow. Okay. So let's begin maybe unpacking a little bit of this because you just mentioned so many, so many factor or so many, um, well, so many topics that so many people are interested in right there. So let's maybe start with that anxiety and depression one and uh, talk backwards from there about what you typically see and maybe perhaps expanding on that question if that's typically related to a sleep problem as well or how like can you i guess my ultimate question is do you see different breathing obstructions or different areas that are affected based on which uh, condition a person is presenting with or does is it really just a person by person um like variable by person it is entirely variable by person. I mean, we're all so unique in so many ways and the way how our genetics play a role in with our function and how we develop. So like that nature nurture push pull really is going to give us all different manifestations depending on what it is that's the actual dysfunction. Because for some people, it's a particular muscle over another one. Um, and so that's going to be your big determining factor. Like what's going on with you as an individual and your genetics versus your function and how that is going to collide to create that impact. Um, when we're talking about the anxiety, depression, the cognitive, neurocognitive impacts, it's really cross-related. I love how, you know, you put that together with the obstructive sleep apnea. It's definitely a big signal there. A lot of that though, really comes back into play with how you breathe. And a lot of people don't know or understand that there is a proper way to breathe. One, yes, you want to be breathing through your nose because that's what's designed to prime all the air that's coming into your body. So it's going to humidify the air. It's going to warm the air. It's going to, um, filter out any sort of things that we don't want to be inhaling or we don't want in our lungs. Like the nose is the key place for that to happen. If you're breathing through your mouth, none of those processes are happening. You're getting a worse quality of air and it's really not even going to fill the lower third of your lungs. And I mean, you're not going to get as much air. So having less oxygen is one thing because that's going to impact your cognitive function overall. But when I talk about having a proper way to breathe, we really should be breathing with our tongue and at rest, not doing anything. That tongue at rest should be suctioned up to the roof of the mouth. So the entirety of the roof of the mouth, not just the tip at the front, but just the whole tongue suctioned up against the, the palate or the roof of the mouth. This is going to help stimulate the nasal floor so yay, that's going to definitely help with your nasal breathing, um, but it's also going to help to stimulate your vagus nerve. And our vagus nerve, we know, is a part of our autonomic nervous system. So when we're talking about rest and digest versus flight or fright, that is that whole push or pull where we're able to self-regulate better if we have a direct connection. And so with our tongue up and we're stimulating the nasal floor, we get our nitric oxide flowing. It's able to bond to the on to bind, there you go, bind to the receptors of the blood better, and we oxygenate better, more oxygen is going to only improve your neurological performance. It's going to enhance your autonomic nervous system regulation and your ability to do so. So having that connection, being able to breathe properly, retraining the body to breathe properly, 
which is what we do with myofunctional therapy, it helps you to downregulate. And we always see a big improvement with the anxiety and the depression because a lot of times we know that there is a connection with breathing. What's some of the first things that a psychologist or a psychiatrist would do? They would give you some breathing exercises for those types of things, right? And so it's really just amplifying on top of that, that there's a proper way to breathe. That way we can really help put together those cognitive pieces in a natural way. Okay, great. Okay. So it's spanning off there because, um, so this, this sounds like, so there's really this conscious level of breathing because what you're talking about is retraining, retraining your muscles, retraining, you know, where, where your tongue sits within your mouth. And then the unconscious state, of course, when we're in sleep, um, could we dive a little bit deeper into the sleep apnea piece of it? And, how how the myofunctional therapy helps with that when you're when you're sleeping absolutely so just give another analogy and i guess i might be like you know diving in deep with this whole personal training thing but imagine somebody who is um uh has six pack abs very well you know, developed abdominal region and they lie down. They lie down. Those abs are there. They're prominent. They don't move. Gravity doesn't unpack them and they're, you know, flopping all over the place. But then imagine somebody with more of like a beer belly shape or just overweight. They lie down and things shift. Everything moves. It's just more impacted by the fact that there's gravity, right? Let's take that into consideration a little further up the body. Okay. So the very first stages of sleep, all muscles relax. We cannot get out of that. That is a fact of life. So the first few stages of sleep, as those muscles are relaxing, imagine muscles now, especially along your airway, which is in that zone of where I work, but all those muscles, imagine those being not well developed, not as strong as they could be. And then you lie down and gravity has an impact. And then your body now relaxes those muscles even more, those muscles that were already kind of relaxed. It's kind of like that person who's overweight or with the beer belly lying down and everything shifts. So now you're more prone to having collapse or these muscles not really maintaining the openness of your airway that you would naturally have if you were standing upright. What's going to happen now is if you were working with a myofunctional therapist and we're working on those muscles and we're getting them, you're increasing your awareness of them, we're using them the way they're supposed to be utilized and we're increasing the strength of them. Now you're more prone to maintaining that openness even when they're relaxed because now you're like the person with the abdominals who's lied down and now they're in bed and their six pack abs don't move. They don't move at all. That is a great analogy. That's very helpful. Um, let's see. Around, could we maybe dive into the insomnia piece of it and the relationship with, um, with sleep apnea or just insomnia in general? Um, whether this is, you know, the traditional insomnia where people have trouble falling asleep or whether it's kind of being startled back awake in the middle of the night, either of those. 
Yeah. So when we're linking obstructive sleep apnea and insomnia, when there's kind of an overlap of those where you're feeling like you are being woken up multiple times in, in the middle of the night, or you're tossing and turning more, you're just not getting very good quality sleep. What's happening is that you're missing out on a lot of restorative processes. So your body never really gets into that deep stage of sleep where you shouldn't really be able to be awoken as easily. And so once that's happening, and you're already poorly rested, your body now is prioritizing different things. So your body never got to process any of the brain's activities or functions that it's really supposed to process when we're sleeping. That's when memories are input. Anything that you may have acquired during the day as far as new knowledge, information, processes, theories, whatever, all of that stuff gets input while we are sleeping. If you're not getting into your REM sleep and you're not getting any of that stuff really processed, you're not able to process that. You don't get to dream. You don't really get to actually work through a lot of your issues of the day. And so when's that going to happen? Well, now you've woken up, your body's startled. Your body may have been starved for oxygen for periods of time repetitiously throughout that period where you were sleeping. And now your body just wants to breathe. It just needs to recover. And now your mind might start racing because none of that stuff that you got to, that you would normally process as you are getting restorative sleep was processed. So now you're awake. And you can't really go back to sleep because your body's main goal is always to keep you awake or keep you alive. I'm sorry. It needs to keep you alive. And if we are in danger, why would the body want to sleep? So when it comes to obstructive sleep apnea and we're not really breathing well, we can't have all those restorative processes. And so the body's going to have to reprioritize what it is working on. And if it's working on just keeping us alive and or processing some of those thoughts of the day or whatever, well, then that's when you get some people who struggle with maintaining solid periods of sleep. They'll have longer wake cycles. They'll be unable to really fall back asleep quite easily. Um, You do also have the reverse of that, the opposite of that, where sleep deprivation, some people go out into like almost a sedative comatose type state, but it's not a true sleep because none of those restorative processes are still happening. And so you've got all ends of the spectrum that it can really go on. It really is a variable scale. But when it comes to insomnia and obstructive sleep apnea, like they really link through breathing a hundred percent. Okay. Kind of switching gears a little bit. What about TMJ problems? Ooh. (laughs) So there are two different types of TMJ problems. So when we're talking about the TMJ, the temporomandibular joint, that is a hinge joint. Okay. So what, what that means is for those of you who remember physics or I don't know what science area that is actually, but the hinge, it just kind of swings. It's like a, it's going to ride on the joint. I don't know how else to describe it. So it's like a hinge. And so We could have structural problems with that hinge where maybe congenitally you were born with some defect or something didn't develop totally correctly, or maybe there's even a trauma that happens very early on where maybe part of bone is broken off or something is off structurally where that bone on bone, it can't ride appropriately. Okay. 
If there's not a structural problem, in most cases, like 80% of cases, it's a muscular problem, meaning that the way the muscles are pulling so that these um, joints, so the joint can ride on that hinge, the way that it's pulling is deficient in one way or another. Either it's pulling too tightly on one side and now your hinge is swinging left or swinging right and then swinging the other way to get back to center once you get back to your centric occlusion or the centric relationship that you should have. It's swinging in a different way. It could just be that it's limiting. It could be overly tense and it's limiting. And so you can't open all the way or sometimes the muscle pulls and it's too tight. You can't get it off. And so now you're stuck open. Some people get stuck being open and they get locked jaw. There's a number of ways that these muscles impact that joint. But what's important is that we're making sure that we are working on finding out what the root cause is. So sometimes it's as easy as getting um, a dental x-ray, CBCT scan, um, sometimes the cephalometric scans that the dentist will have. If you go to your dentist and you're asking about it, they should have some way to kind of scan, diagnose, and or refer you for a scan or a diagnosis. If it's muscular, myofunctional therapy is a really great help. We teach you how to actually be more conscious of these muscles, what's supposed to move. We isolate the various muscles that might be overdeveloped and start working on the muscles that need to actually be developed, those underdeveloped muscles, to create that balance that would help you ride on the joint better and help to prevent further deterioration of the joint. Whereas, you know, other sort of mechanisms for dealing with that, such as having a splint is like a temporary solution. It, it works really great while that device is in the mouth. I mean, these things can work together while you're getting your muscular stuff worked out. You can get a splint. Um, the Botox, where you would just freeze the muscles, doesn't really resolve anything. It's a temporary solution that every few months you're going to have to go back and freeze those muscles again, right? Whereas with myofunctional therapy, we're really getting to the root of let's fix the dysfunction. Let's see where these muscles aren't working together as they should be. And let's help to get it to be where it should. Okay. Is it common for you to collaborate with dentists so that one might be working on the, so if there is a problem with the bite itself contributing to TMJ and then you're working on the muscular piece or kind of what does that look like? Like, and if, if it is a situation where it's an issue with the bite, but there's also something going on with the muscle, how much does myofunctional therapy help to resolve it overall? I think these are fantastic questions. Okay, so yes, it is very common that we work together. In fact, myofunctional therapy works well with a lot of various disciplines. It is a beautiful um, collaboration between several types of disciplines, whether it be a manual therapist, a physician, a dentist, or, uh, numerous types of ways we can help. Um, so it is common to collaborate. When there are structural issues, like the bite is off, there's crowding of the teeth, or the teeth just don't meet the way that they should, absolutely we work together. It depends on what the solution is in order to kind of determine how we're working together. If the solution is really to do some sort of appliance work, um, then we can work together just kind of co-harmoniously. When it is maybe doing orthodontics and adjusting the bite and really going through that treatment, well, then maybe we might have to wait to work through some of that first and then 
come in at a later stage when there's more stability with the bite. That way we're able to kind of help the muscles where they're at, but it wouldn't make sense to help the muscles in a place where they might be shifting a little later on. Okay, great. Um, Another question kind of related to this, what about someone who experiences frequent headaches or just has a problem with lymph drainage out of the head? How much do, I mean, how much do any of the, um, either the muscle realignment techniques or any of the exercises that you teach kind of help to, um, aid that drainage? To a certain extent, yes. Um, to a certain extent. We're not actively working on lymphatic drainage, but we have to remember that the lymphatic uh, system is not like a circulatory system. So kind of like how the, you know, blood works and it's pumping throughout the body and it's constantly moving. The reason why we get lymph that we need to drain is it's a pressure system. And so it's waiting for a certain amount of pressure and then it drains itself. And so some of the exercises that we do, do help to facilitate some movement of the lymph in certain zones. However, there's going to be some sort of manual, you know, therapy or work or massages or something that's going to have to come in and really help with some of that because the lymph does need some encouragement on its own. That's not just all um, initially activated by a muscular movement. Okay. And then maybe what about tension headaches? How much how much does your therapy um, help with those? Tension headaches are headaches that are really stemming from the temporal area. Um, if especially if you're waking up with them, a lot of times that's due to grinding or clenching overnight. And so that's overuse of these muscles and overuse of the joint. And then it creates pressure and it builds up a pressure along the temporal, uh, temporalis muscle around the temporal areas. So if you're feeling it really in the temporal areas, then Absolutely. Myofunctional therapy can help because one of the things that we're really doing is we're trying to eliminate those parafunctional habits. So yes, they're occurring at nocturnally when things are, you know, out of your control. But most of the theories around that is that it's about breathing. It's your body trying to open up your airway. And so if we go back to our little six pack ab <laughs> obstructive sleep apnea thing with the myofunctional therapy really helping in that way to help to facilitate a, a better open airway. And there's just more muscular awareness and, you know, acute attention to that. It really does help to relieve some of that nocturnal parafunction that does happen with the grinding and the clenching, which therefore in turn is helping with the headaches. Okay. Thank you for walking through that. Switching gears just a little bit. Let's talk about your book. Yeah. Yeah. Accomplished is the name of the book, How to Sleep Better, Eliminate Burnout, and Execute Goals. It was such a labor of love because I feel like there's a lot of sleep tips out there, a lot of sleep hygiene things out there. You know, you need this pillow, you need this mattress, you need to turn off your phone, you shouldn't eat, no coffee, whatever. A lot of that stuff is good information, yes, but if you are like most of the world because the WHO, World Health Organization, and the CDC, uh, Center for Disease Control, have both declared sleep deprivation first nationally and then globally an epidemic, okay? So if you're like most people, 
you're struggling from not being able to breathe very well, you're struggling from some variation of a sleep disordered breathing. And in that way, that's going to be your big, your big, um, oh, when you are doing something, your big blockade, there you go. That's going to be your big blockade. That's going to be the thing that's preventing you from moving forward, your breathing. I mean, you can get the super nice mattress. You can get the super great pillow. You can stop using your phone and have no blue light anywhere around you for two, three, four, five hours before bed. And you still won't get good sleep because at the end of the night, it's your breathing. And so how you work around that, I think there needed to be more awareness for that. And so that's where accomplished came from. It really came from just wanting to promote that we need to be more in tune with our breath because we can go for weeks without food. We can go days without water, but not many of us would live any more than a few minutes without air. And so we have to prioritize how we're breathing. And so I have a wonderful plan in my book, the care plan, C-A-R-E. And it really does walk you step by step how you can naturally improve your sleep without having to invest in a whole bunch of tools or, you know, dramatically change your routine. Okay. Um, kind of continuing with your book and, you know, with, because, because it, I mean, it really is, it's all about being more effective, more productive during the day. Um, and also circling back around to this vagus nerve concept of, essentially what you're trying to do is balance out that sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system within the body. Um, could we, I don't think I have a specific question on this. I would just like to hear your thoughts around, um, this area and about how, how with that rebalancing, you're really able to improve your productivity and, um, probably improve your clarity, I would imagine as well. Absolutely. So if we go back to some of the things that I was saying earlier with the breathing, really helping to improve your sleep and your sleep quality, and then that's when all the major cognitive functions, I mean, your brain is not firing as much during the day when you're awake, when it's trying to manage your body at full speed as it is. It's 10 times more when we're sleeping, that brain is firing those neurons, the electric output of the brain is going so much more when we're sleeping. And so being able to improve your sleep, improves your cognitive health and awareness and acuity, as opposed to, you know, kind of walking around in what's very interesting is that when we are sleep deprived, it's kind of like the brain is operating when you are inebriated. So when you're inebriated, you have poor balance, your memory is not really great, you're not able to really put your words together in an intelligent way, you're really struggling when you're inebriated. And it's very obvious to everyone around you it might not be obvious to you. <laughs> it's obvious to everyone around you, right? The same thing kind of happens where you're losing that cognitive quality, you're losing that ability to balance, you're losing your reasoning, you're losing a lot of that um, really important 
the mental tasks that you would need to kind of get through and be productive in your next day. And so you might not see it. It compounds as you continue to lose sleep. We never catch up on sleep. And so that's the biggest myth ever. There is no catching up on sleep. So it's only going to compound and get worse and get worse and get worse with every night that you're not sleeping. It's really putting your brain in a poorer state, which then puts you at a higher risk now for being in more of a sympathetic drive because your brain is like, well, I've been starved of oxygen. The the body, my human is at risk. My human might die at any moment because we're very highly driven. So now we're in fight or flight. Now, now we have to, we have to be mentally and, you know, physically prepared for any sort of battle that might be happening. We can't get out of sympathetic drive because that brain just hasn't been able to downregulate and really do all the things that it needs to do when we're sleeping. We we need the brain to be doing the drainage that it does when it's sleeping, the memory input that it does when we're sleeping, the cell regeneration, and really the rest. And there's no substitute for that. And so it all really works together. The impact of your day today is a direct result of the quality of the sleep you got last night. Okay. Carice, as we start to wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to mention or in that or anything that we haven't touched on yet that um, we should talk about? I think I always like to mention that I think it's really important that everyone advocates for themselves. I think when we are in the traditional medical world, it's very difficult for you to advocate for yourself. There's always some sort of uh, palliative option that you can have. And it's incredibly important to be your own best advocate. If something feels off or a certain treatment doesn't seem like it's getting you to the root cause, it's more so just kind of putting a Band-Aid on the issue, feel free to speak up for yourself. Feel free to, to look into other options and alternatives. There is no better advocate for you and your health than you. And so if something doesn't feel right, say something. Speak up and you know own your health. I love that. That is, yes, that is so good and so true. Um, which actually leads me to another question. So in this day and age where we're prescribed pills all the time and Ambien and other kind of sleep pills and this kind of thing, you mentioned that the sedative kind of sleep already isn't restorative like normal sleep. Is there maybe... Could we just talk about the difference between normal sleep and these and the sleep inducing pills? Absolutely. So when you are getting restorative sleep, your brain is doing all of its wonderful functions, your body's restoring, you're getting cell regeneration, you're getting memory input, you're getting all the wonderful things happening. When you are in a sedative state, so if you've ever been under anesthesia and you know had a procedure done at the hospital or a anywhere and you're doing that, people like to say you're being put to sleep. You're not actually being put to sleep. None of those processes are happening. Your brain is not firing any higher. Your brain is actually at a rested state too. You're actually in more of like a comatose state where you are just unconscious. Nothing restorative is happening. Nothing rejuvenating is happening. Your body is kind of 
shut down for a, a little bit, but you're not getting any sort of good processes happening. So when you're taking those pills, it's a sedative. The pills are sedatives. They don't put you to sleep. They don't help you get sleep. They help you get into sedation, which is like a light coma, and you're really just unconscious for however many hours of the night, but you're not actually getting true restorative sleep, cell rejuvenation, your, Im your immune system, you know, regenerates there, your white blood cells, like a lot of stuff is happening when we are sleeping. That's why we do it for a third of our lives. And none of that happens. Not one bit of it happens when you're in a sedative or on a sedative taking sedatives. Okay. With the myofunctional therapy, uh, sorry, a whole, this opened up a whole, what, what you said about being your own health advocate opened up a whole other um, thought process. Um, so let's see. What, oh, yeah. So are there any studies to look at the type of brain waves that you have maybe before you do myofunctional therapy and then after, like as you're, um, as you're kind of retraining your body to breathe properly? Like I'm thinking that the alpha waves, delta waves, whatever, for from just a brain scan. Do, are you aware of any studies that maybe have looked at that with myofunctional um, therapy? I am not aware of anything looking specifically at the brain activity. I am aware of people who have had sleep studies and gotten sleep improvement. Like there are lots of studies and research around that, the myofunctional therapy and the impact it's had on their AHI and decreasing that and or CPAP and then coming off of that or CPAP and being, you know, more tolerable to that. Um, but nothing looking at the brainwave activity specifically. However, I will say that your brainwave activity, if you have like a normal, if you come out of a sleep study and you have a normal um, read and you, you come out and you don't have sleep apnea or you have a very mild case of obstructive sleep apnea, it's going to wind up with your brain waves being higher over that period of the night than someone who's more severe and is unable to breathe at all. So I don't know. That's a very interesting question. I hope I hope somebody does do that research in the near future. Okay. Last question. How long has myofunctional therapy been around? Over a hundred years. So actually the father, yeah, the father of orthodontics, Dr. Edward Engel, uh, in the late 1800s, he had somebody who was, he was teaching under him um, and they, you know, wanted to get to the root of why do people even need, why are teeth coming in crooked? Like, why do people need braces? Why do we have to even classify something as, you know, like crooked or malaligned? And they came to myofunctional therapy as early as 1908. Wow. Mm -hmm. Carice, how can people find you? My website's a really great place. Um, I do offer free consultations. That way people are able to, you know, connect with me and see if this is something even that they need. Um, that's themyospot.com, T-H-E-M-Y-O-S-P-O-T.com. Or you can follow me on social media. I'm on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram at the myospot. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been a great conversation. It was so much fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. 
next time on the podcast, so next week. So we are running this podcast weekly for this particular uh, season, uh, something that I started over, I think, the summer of 2023 where we were doing weekly episodes and kind of like that cadence. So we're going to continue with that. So next time, next week, we'll launch a sustainability series. And with this one, it's a three-part series. I'm going to start off um, sharing with you a little bit about Rain Organica. Rain Organica is now a certified B Corp, which I am so excited for this. And I'll talk with you a little bit about the sustainability practices of the brand that made that possible. And then uh, we'll... I'll also share the interviews that um, I had with Frederica Siren. She is author of Zero Waste Family, has a YouTube channel on zero waste living uh, right here in San Diego County, and then wrap up this series with an interview with Liz Murphy. Liz is the founder of Santosha Nutrition and also Sustainability is Sexy. Um. I had the opportunity to spend a Sunday with Liz, and while I thought I was sustainable, Liz opened my eyes to just how sustainable, just how easy it is to take sustainable living up a notch. So, pretty excited for that series. If you're not already subscribed to Holistic Wellness, be sure you subscribe before you leave. And take a quick second to share today's episode with a friend who might enjoy it. One more ask real quick before you leave. Would you leave a five-star review for this podcast? Just by taking the time to leave a five-star review, you help to elevate awareness around this podcast, get it more visibility, get it more listeners, um, which makes me... And ultimately, just by leaving a review, you make me extremely happy. Like, I am so excited when I see new reviews uh, pop in. So, again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, bye.